Welcome to Funeral Directors Chat, where funeral professionals discuss industry topics, trends, and news. And now your host, Nancy Bourbon. Hi, I'm Nancy Bourbon, your host for Funeral Directors Chat, a podcast providing funeral professionals with insight to current industry topics, news, and trends. Today, we'll be discussing green burials and the outlook that it has on funeral services. Going green is usually associated with hybrid cars, solar panels, but what about environmentally friendly burials or green burials? Instead of a traditional funeral where the deceased rests for an eternity in a casket, many people are choosing to be buried in a natural way, in a biodegradable basket or wood casket. Today, I have the honor of speaking to Joe Sehe. He is the leading advocate of the green burial movement in the United States, and he is the executive director of the Green Burial Council, an organization that he founded to encourage sustainability in the death care industry and to use the burial process as a means of facilitating ecological restoration and landscape level conservation. Joe is also a former Jesuit lay minister and a Peabody award-winning journalist who has worked in the funeral industry since 1999. And he's a senior fellow with the Environmental Leadership Program and an Enviropreneur Fellow with the Property Environment Research Center. His organization recently established the nation's first certifiable standards for cemeteries, funeral providers, and cremation facilities. They're in the majority of states right now offering Green Burial Council approved burial packages. With that, I'll introduce Joe Sihi and let him explain uh, what Green Burial is all about. Well, Green Burial is really a way of caring for the dead that furthers legitimate environmental aims such as the reduction of carbon emissions, the conservation of energy and natural resources, the protection of worker health, and the restoration or preservation of habitat. In a practical sense, this means burial without the need uh, for metal caskets, concrete vaults, or embalming with toxic chemicals. And it's really the antithesis to the kind of death care we've been offering in this country over the past century that has often been about impeding the process of decay and regeneration. Green burial really calls for embracing that natural process. And how long have you been um, involved in the green burial movement? I've been involved in the movement since 2002. Mm-hmm. And the council was really formed in 2005. And it was formed as a tax-exempt nonprofit uh, organization, as I mentioned, to protect these environmental benefits uh, that Green Burial can further, and really to prevent the concept from getting greenwashed down the drain. I was involved uh, early on with one of the first Green Burial projects in the US and quickly realized that this concept was not gonna work unless it had support, not only of the, the general public, but of the environmental conservation community and the funeral service industry. So, so the G- GBC was created to make sure that these often disparate entities could have a way of coming together uh, to make burial better serve people on the planet. Well, this is kind of going back to the beginning because prior to the Civil War, most people did um, have, they laid people out at home and they did have green burials. Is that right? That is right. And in fact, 95% of the rest of the world essentially is doing the burials we're talking about. Um, I think arterial-based embalming, uh, as it's been defined here, really is done in about six or seven countries predominantly. 
in the United States kind of leads that movement, doesn't it? We do. And I think we've had a big focus on sanitation. Uh, you know, we've taught ourselves that this was the proper way to care for a decedent and it is one way. And I just want to be clear, the council has been very careful not to take even formaldehyde-based embalming off the table. Uh, we certainly don't have a problem with people using burial vaults or metal caskets or anything else they want to do to honor the dead, heal the living, and invite in the divine. We just want there to be an option for people who want to live and now die with a lighter hand on the land. I understand that. No, and it's great to go back to the earth, and it's it's also giving a gift back to um, the place that you came from. That's right, and it provides a great deal of solace and intrinsic benefits. I spoke last week with a physician who at 48 discovered he had terminal cancer, and he's been planning his own funeral for the past number of months. And it sounds odd to say that he was excited about it, but he's said that himself, and it sort of surprised him. He wants part of his legacy to be this gift back to the the community that this option exists. And really what's happened is Green Burial has provided a way for him to focus not on this tragedy really at hand, but on a way for him to give something back. And it provides a great deal of intrinsic uh, benefits that I don't think conventional death care does very often. Joe, what are the council's areas of focus and philosophy? The GBC is really interested in uh, a couple of areas. Uh, we've done a lot of advocacy to really re-educate consumers that they have uh, a number of rights that they didn't know they had when it came to uh, end-of-life rituals. Many Americans, most, I would say, don't really understand, for example, that they can have a funeral without embalming. I lost my mom last year, and she was convinced of that fact. And uh, her only alternative was a direct cremation without a funeral in her mind. So we're trying to let people know that, in fact, uh, there is a way to have a, a, a green burial and a, and a funeral and that there are ways to, to do something positive with one's last act. We've also been involved educating both the funeral service industry and the conservation community. I've probably spoken to more than half of the state's cemetery and funeral associations, and we're going to continue to do more educating um, to prepare this industry to better serve families uh, who want more eco-friendly end-of-life rituals. We've also gotten into facilitating public-private partnerships, bringing together uh, land trusts and park service agencies with the funeral service industry. Uh, we have one that we're launching in the Texas uh, with the Texas Department of Parks and Wildlife that will be marketed through funeral homes in, in the in, and cremation companies to make available scattering in public parks that helps generate money to uh, protect natural areas that are at risk of development. And our big focus has been on standard setting, and uh, and what it's really evolving into is more of an eco rating system. But what we've done is to set forth standards so that consumers can distinguish one shade of green from another when it comes to a cemetery or a funeral home or a product manufacturer. And we've done that with, uh, I think, a great deal of success. Our philosophy really is to bring about a new ethic in the field of funeral service that is rooted in transparency, accountability, and ecological responsibility. And I think any entity getting involved with green is going to have to do this. 
We also want to make sure that Green Burial does not diminish conventional offerings, and it doesn't have to. And we think that people should be able to do whatever they deem appropriate uh, when it comes to a funeral. And um, I think that message is, is getting out slowly but surely. We want this option to be an option within funeral service rather than an alternative. And we also want to create an open source network so that cemeterians and funeral directors can learn from another, one another and help us evolve this idea in a responsible manner so that it does the most amount of public good. And finally, we really want to bring about a new model of leadership to a highly fragmented field. Uh, I used to be uh, uh, involved with social advocacy and got to spend time some time with the Jesuit liberation theologians who taught me that um, oftentimes we assimilate our fields uh, rather than uh, transcending them. And, and, and I think that um, we're trying to allow anyone to participate and plug into the story uh, that we're trying to, to set forth. And we're trying to do it in, a, in, in as positive a manner as we can. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons we wanted you on this podcast, because a lot of funeral directors see this as the antithesis of the funeral services industry. They don't see it as a way that they can um, actually see any remuneration for their services, or um, they see it as the opposite of what they're doing right now. And, And I have a very different opinion, and I'm sure that you do too. Well, it's just the same way the funeral service industry approached cremation several decades ago. They thought they could go against what the market was asking for. And it is a favorite expression of mine that the fates lead the willing and drag the unwilling. Well, the market tends to do the same thing. And that didn't work out so well. In fact, the United States is the only country on the planet where cremation is regarded as an alternative to a funeral. Go up to Canada and people literally have a funeral and come out of it and go one way to the crematory and one way to the cemetery. That's not done here. And I've been trying to preach that we can't make that mistake again. And I don't think we will. But many funeral directors, I think, are threatened by this idea because they don't understand the underlying economics. People in this industry are going to make far more money on a green funeral than they will on a direct cremation. And the families that want green burial probably aren't going to spend the same amount of money they would on a high-end funeral. That was never going to be their their choice to begin with. And we need to understand that. The other thing funeral directors and cemeterians need to understand, and the auto industry most recently has come to, I think, come to grips with this, is that a concept like this is only a threat if it's not embraced. You know, the big three didn't want to make fuel-efficient cars because they were seemingly appealing to fringe markets with very low margins. But those companies that were producing them gobbled up market share. And look what's happened with cremation, uh, for example, and look how disruptive a force it has been within this industry because it was not embraced. I don't want to see that happen with green burial. No, you're absolutely right. And a person who's going to buy a Cadillac is going to buy a Cadillac. They're not going to buy a hybrid car. They're not. And, you know, I I had a company uh, say to me the other day, you know, we may make $3,000 on our cremation and $12,500 on a conventional funeral. And how is this green burial going to make up that $8,500? And I said, it's not. You know, but that person spending the the money uh, for a green burial, you know, they weren't, they were never going to 
pay $12,500 for that funeral. And that's what needs to be understood. Mm-hmm. And again, the car companies did the same thing and, and it, it was futile. They eventually had to say, you know, I guess people don't want gas guzzlers and we're going to have to find a way making money on more fuel efficient, less expensive vehicles or someone else will. And that's the same message that this industry needs to understand. Either Funeral homes and cemeteries will provide green offerings or consumers will go out to find other entities that will. But what is interesting is that a person can step into an auto dealership today and they can buy a hybrid and they can buy an SUV and they don't have an issue with that. So funeral homes in particular should realize that they can have a range of offerings. And the fact that they have green offerings isn't going to pull people away from that other conventional funeral that some families may want. But I don't think that's very carefully understood. I think there is a perception by some folks who don't understand this idea that somehow it's going to draw people away from wanting a burial vault or from wanting embalming. The lid is already being lifted. Let's let's be honest about that. Look at cremation rates. I mean, it, when we really understand what's driving demand for cremation, I think there are a lot of people who are not seeing value in conventional funeral service, and they're not willing to pay money for it. It's not a cost factor because it doesn't jibe with the fact that people who cremate tend to be more affluent than those who do not. And the same is true with green burial. But we're working hard to make sure that green burial does not become equated with cheap burial. You know, people don't walk into a Whole Foods expecting a discount on their food bill. They're doing, they're, they're, they're shopping because they want to uh, reduce the, the amount of pesticides that they consume, or they want to they encourage fair trade policies from the, the, the suppliers they buy from. There are, there's different things at play. And I think this industry is going to catch on to that. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I shop at Whole Foods, and I like to call it Whole Paycheck. But, you know, I, I find value in paying more for a product that's, you know, that's not filled with pesticides. And that's, or I, I find value in buying organic food that's better for me than, you know, what I can get in, in a traditional supermarket. And I'll, I think a lot of people, especially in California and, and the, the West Coast, are really embracing this. And look at Japan, 99.8% of people are not buried. They don't have traditional burials. And in Australia, New Zealand, I mean, cremation is 99% of their uh, burial rights. And, and, and you raise a good point, you know, when it comes to cemeteries, for example, stewardship costs money, doing ecological restoration costs money, and people will pay a, a premium for that. Mm-hmm. Products that we've discovered, caskets and urns, that use eco-friendly materials, oftentimes those materials will cost more. There's more drying time. There's more labor because there's more clamping. Adhesives that are non-toxic and biodegradable cost more to to source. But families don't mind paying for it. In fact, they're willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, All they want to know is that whatever environmental aims that are being purported are are legitimate. That is the onus on us right now. If we do that properly, we're going to bring people back to the field of funeral service. If we don't, especially given a lot of a lot of the the, the feelings that many have toward this industry, um, I think we're 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 going to uh, lose out on a big opportunity. You know, I found out again when 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 I lost my mother last year. I we had to make a decision on buying an urn, and I 
picked out something that I thought was really appropriate and simple and elegant. And to my sister, it wasn't going to cut mustard with the Italian relic because it didn't look substantial enough. So we uh, uh, compromised on something that looked more like marble. But it was Himalayan salt, and it was biodegradable and non-toxic and renewable. And, 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 and those are the kinds of compromises that we're seeing families have to make. Um, people are looking at price, aesthetics, and these environmental um, benefits. And there's, you know, uh, there's discussions around this. I think the mistake that we don't want to make is determining a good, better, and best approach. I think it's a real mistake for us to say that there's one right way to do this. We, I coined the term, I think, in this industry, shades of green that's been badly bastardized. And what I mean by it is that you know, families are going to make decisions about things based on whether or not, for example, a product is made domestically or overseas. That may mean something. Do you want timber or products that are harvested sustainably? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe labor is an issue. Maybe toxicity is an issue. And what we're hoping to do is be a repository of information, let that family make the decision and it takes the pressure off of this industry, but we just have to be able to back up those promises somehow. And that's what we're really trying to do. Um, what, what type of green burials are available? Like if you were to tell a family, if a family asked you, what exactly is a green burial? Is it only going back to the land? Is it only going back to the land in the cemetery? Um, and I know that a lot of cemeteries have GPS systems and all, because I know families are concerned, like, how will I know where my loved one is interred? Well, we think that anything you can do with conventional funeral service should be able to be done in a more green manner, including embalming. Um, we, we think that um, if, if, if you want a monument, that's more of an aesthetic issue rather than an ecological one. There's certainly a way to do that. There are more eco-friendly ways to do inventory control um, on a, a, the part of the cemetery operator. But there's really nothing that's taken off the table. I think we're going to see a lot of interesting things done in the area of memorialization. Uh, a couple of years ago, the green cemeteries were doing density at about 100 to 200 bodies per acre. Now many of them are at five to 700, 800. And, they, and it can be done because the science behind this is evolving. But I think it's a mistake to think that this takes anything away from the family's options. If anything, it just gives them more choices. Joe, why do we need a trust provider in this field? Well, we live in a world where anyone can define green any way they want. And it was especially with the internet, you know, it drives me crazy. Anyone can have a .org next to their domain. And, you know, what we're discovering is that these organizations, and this is even in the green burial field, are not incorporated. They're not really nonprofits. They're oftentimes set up by, uh, you know, companies or people who are aspiring to, to do something in the field. Um, so we need to have people who are credible in this area to, to connect with the public. It's going to be increasingly important. And the government is not willing to take on this role. And, and I think what we're starting to see is that in particular fields where there, were, where there was greenwashing, a carbon uh, trading program, for example, were all the rage several years ago until it was discovered that many of them were less than reputable. Some were downright bogus. And th what happened was that con consumers said, we're going to back away until we can know who's real and who's not. And they turned to entities that they trusted, maybe it was the Sierra Club or the Nature Conservancy, to tell them where they should go. And now they're much more careful. Um, and that's why we are uh, in, in, in set up as a trust provider. And again, and I hate to say this, 
But I think a lot of the public has misgivings about funeral service. We discovered, for example, that the conservation community had many misgivings because of all the scandals that they're reading about. Well, they wanted to have a way of uh, of, of engaging the funeral service industry. And it was our responsibility to show that there were decent people out there willing to bra- embrace a new ethic and willing to serve families. And, 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 and um, I think we've, we've made big strides over the last five years. And that's why you see land trusts and park service agencies willing to step up and get involved with funeral homes and cemeteries. Um, but I think in, in general, the, 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 the green economy is going to require that every industry or sector have its own trust provider or trust providers to allow consumers to feel good about these purchases. What do you think about the government? Do you think the government will get involved in green burial at any point? Only if we don't do a good job policing ourselves, and I think that's always the case. Um, if there, if there, once there's some scandals out there and people are are affected, I'm working with a, a, some a, a funeral association in a state that's trying to help put forth legislation to define green cemeteries because there was a guy in this state who got ordained online and then got an exemption from the cemetery bureau, started taking money to sell burial plots and uh, had his property foreclosed on. And um, I had to work with, and left town. <laughs> and um, we had to work with the, the, his partner to refund money and to prevent a real scandal. Thankfully, no, no one was buried. But these are the kinds of things that can happen if there's no oversight and no one is looking under the hood to say, what's going on, fellas? Is there really a legally enforceable mechanism that runs with the land? Is there a deed restriction or conservation easement? Or how are you requiring that future operators enforce these promises that are being made today? You know, And how do we know that these protocols are going to result in the outcome that you're promising. It's a bit much bigger issue, by the way, at the cemetery level than it is with funeral homes or product manufacturers. I just brought that up because a lot of cemeterians will be listening to this podcast as well. And I just wanted to get your viewpoint on how that might affect them. Well, I think we're, again, doing a a big service uh, and it's tough work and it's expensive work. And it's, and it's challenging work for primarily a volunteer organization, but we're allowing them to be able to credibly reach out to these more eco-conscious consumers. But eco-conscious consumers are demanding oversight and transparency and accountability. It's, it's imperative. And, and again, this isn't understood, I think, by our culture, but that's really what, where, where things are going. Now, what big lessons have you learned, uh, Joe, being in this movement as long as you have? Well, I think I've I've learned, again, that ritual requires very light hands. We've seen people be able to participate uh, much more in the the funeral burial process and get much more out of it. I hear from funeral directors and cemeterians all the time about this, and we don't want to step on this. I always say that, you know, ritual can't be dictated or codified or served up on any kind of a platter, even a non-toxic biodegradable one, if it's to really work. And so I think that we need to allow families to come into this on their own and, and, to, and to really give them the space that they need. Uh, and um, we're seeing that. I think providers really need to do this the right way with the right ethic or not do it at all. And I, four, three years ago even, was out there trying to 
get people into our network. And now, you know, we're being a lot more careful and we're trying to tell people if you don't get pushed out of your comfort zone, look, there are ways of uh, doing sanitation, preservation, and restoration that do not have to involve the use of toxic chemicals. And it's done all over the world. But if you're not ready, don't don't offer that. Don't worry about it. We're here for you when you want to do it. So we, we don't want to force people to make this offering. And, and some people do feel forced, and that's not good. Greenwashing also has to be avoided at all costs because the backlash is very difficult to recover from. People need to be very careful about the products they purchase and, and what, it, what promises are being made, as well as the, the, the practices that they're purporting to the public. There's been already a couple of cases of cemeteries and funeral homes and product manufacturers whose promises have been um, questioned, and some of them have not recovered. I think it's also important for people in this field to understand that goodwill is an incredibly important form of capital. The council has a lot of it to loan out, but we have a very strict lending policy so that this currency will always mean something. And um, I guess the big lesson that people are already are always already starting to learn is that uh, it is possible to do well by doing good and do good by doing well. Uh, this this can further not only an ecological agenda, but it can make sense economically, and it needs to. And and that's a very big lesson that I think has been something that more and more people are learning in the funeral service industry. That's well said. And I speak to a lot of young people entering the profession, and they are concerned about using formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen. And they are seeking employment in, in funeral homes that have green embalming practices. And a lot of um, human resources on some of the bigger um, chain-owned funeral homes are looking into how do we protect our workers? How do we protect people that we employ against known carcinogens that we're using in the workplace, which is the funeral home? I just talked to a funeral director the other day who does all of his own embalming, and he said to me, and I said, well, that's kind of unusual for the owner to do that, more of it's outsourced. He said, I don't want to be, be sued 20 or 30 years from now. That was his big concern, which I thought was interesting. But I said to him, but why do you want to expose yourself to, to a known carcinogen? I mean, you can't sue yourself, but you don't need to damage yourself either. Um, Look, this is wh wh where the world's going, and I, I find it interesting that so many people in the funeral service industry are very defensive about, you know, using toxic chemicals. And I understand that because they've been trained in mortuary schools, I think, have led people in this field to believe that this is the only way to facilitate sanitation, restoration, preservation. It's not. And we're, we're having to do a big retraining. And I, I think liability is going to probably move us away from this more than anything. And there's a big movement in the funeral services industry, too. Funeral services became monetized after the Civil War, when men um, re realized that they could make a living, they could actually make a very good living out of um, the funeral services uh, practices. And now it's come full circle because a lot of people graduating from mortuary school are not inheriting funeral homes from their parents and their grandparents. They're actually making a conscious decision to go into this industry and to actually help people in their time of need and to provide a warm, caring um, environment for them at the, the last stage of their life. A lot of people going into hospice care and mortuary sciences for this very reason. They're not inheriting it anymore. And these are the people that are looking to, um, to for safe practices. They're looking to protect themselves against, like you said, the carcinogens. And they would just as soon um, encourage a green burial 
as an you know a traditional burial if that's what the um, if that's what the families would would like. And a lot of the families don't even realize they have an option. That's a shame, and you're absolutely right. Too many Americans don't have uh, enough awareness about their options. And you know what? It's not serving the industry because people are staying away from funerals because they don't like embalming. And, you know, um, here, I, I personally think that that word has to be redefined because it's losing its meaning. Let's talk about sanitation and preservation and restoration. No one's opposed to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are ways of doing it. In fact, in Europe, embalming is done often topically or with cavity fluid where, where, where there uh, is not arterial fluid used. And some families may be okay with that. You know, there's a, there are aspects of the embalming pro- process that are some people find invasive and offensive and you know others that 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 are acceptable so i think what we need to do is tell families we're here to serve you what do you want we have a range of options you know when it when it comes to handling a loved one and and it's going to require a new conversation that i don't think we've ever before had to lead you're right in fact i have a friend in australia who's a funeral director and there's a product there that they have that actually refrigerates the body and they claim that it's actually as effective or more than embalming. And they use it, you know, of course, they, most of the people in Australia are, are cremated, but those that don't, that want a, an actual funeral, um, they use a refrigeration method. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. I mean, you have cooling boards used in, in many parts of Europe where embalming, by the way, is illegal. Um, you have the use of dry ice that's very prevalent, very inexpensive. You know, most funeral homes in this country don't really have refrigeration and are going to need to do other things um, if they're to participate. But of course, there are non-toxic and readily biodegradable post-mortem products. And a, a lot of families don't mind that. They just don't like the idea of a toxic chemical replacing a natural one. And again, this, this is an area where perception may be bigger than reality. I mean, quite frankly, formaldehyde, I think, you know, there are issues in the prep room that can be mitigated with proper ventilation. I don't think formaldehyde does much damage, if any, in the ecosystem. There's no evidence of that. But if a family doesn't want it and it's keeping people from having a funeral, let's give them an alternative. And that's what we're hearing, you know? And the only alternative for families has been to have a direct cremation without a viewing and without a funeral. And that's wrong. It is wrong. And from a psychological point of view, um, it's it's very damaging because people do need to grieve. And if they don't grieve now, they're going to grieve later and, and possibly at an inappropriate time. And it, it needs to be done. I've interviewed some funeral celebrants, and one of them had a ceremony that was a green burial cer- ceremony in California, which, of course, embraces the concept. And they had, um, it was a Buddhist ceremony, and they had the, um, the bells, and they, had, they, and they actually planted a tree where the, uh, the woman was, was buried. And she was in a, a straw casket wrapped with a, a burial shroud, an organic burial shroud, and people formed in a circle and they rang the little bells, um, the Buddhist bells, and it was so beautiful. And then the funeral celebrant actually took about 40 minutes and told a story of the woman's life. And they said that was the most meaningful ceremony that most of the people had attended in quite some time. I hear the same thing all the time. And it can be something simple as allowing the family to to fill in the grave or put some dirt upon the grave to feel that they're owning that ritual. And that's what good ritual requires. And again, this isn't just the funeral director. I think clergy have dominated ritual uh, for far too long. 
I remember getting married and inviting a Jesuit priest to officiate our service um, and, and, and did so in a way that didn't really reflect where my wife and I were coming from. And I, I've uh, led services uh, for, for other couples and um, I'm very sensitive to that. But I think this is something that we sort of uh, just don't do naturally. It takes light hands and it takes um, allowing people to have the space to do what they feel is right to honor the dead, help heal the living and invite in the divine. Um, it can't be prescribed. And, and we, I think are starting to see in this culture that, that, that that's breaking down. Look at the way babies started to come into the world 30, 20, 30 years ago when p- couples said, you know, I don't care if this is a little bit more painful perhaps or even clunky or even risky. We want this process to authentically represent what we're about. We want to be present and we, we, we want to we own it. Look at weddings that you may have attended over the last decade that took place outdoors rather than a church or temple. Look at how many took uh, were officiated by alternative uh, officiants like celebrants rather than uh, professional religious. And I think you're going to start to see the same thing when it comes to funerals. And you're going to see a big reclamation, especially because baby boomers are going to be taking the lead. Um, and all bets are off really as to how this is going to unfold. Now, and baby boomers are very big into the personalization movement as well. And so, you know, if they can, if they can be interred into the earth in a natural setting, it honors them and it honors the, the people they love and it honors the earth. And if they can plant a tree or, or do some, something of that nature on the site where they're buried, um, it's, it's a lasting legament. It's, it's a testament to who they are in life and what their belief systems are. It is. And as I said, it, it provides a great deal of solace. And I think it allows us to sort of befriend death on some level. You know, the way we've been doing death care in this country for the past century has really been about impeding the process of decay and regeneration. And Green Burial says, let's embrace it. Let's befriend it. And um, we don't need to stave it off. And we don't think that it's less than decent. We, we think that this is what we are meant to do. And, um, you know, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That didn't wasn't created out of whole cloth. You know, we this I think is inherently ingrained in in in, in our belief systems and really in how we interact with our 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 natural world. Um, it's just you, we've had this little blip over the last century, and I think um, you know we're gonna we're gonna start to see this rapidly change, and we need to be prepared for that change. Joe, do you think this green burial movement is moving towards celebrating death just as we celebrate um, life or weddings or any other ritual that we uh, celebrate? I, I think it is. And I think it's allowing us to see a connection between life and death that has been missing a bit. Um, there's a John Muir quote that I love. He, he actually, I think, was inspired by seeing a, a, an early rural cemetery. And he said, let the children walk in nature and they'll see the beautiful blendings and communions between death and life. And they'll see that death is as beautiful as life and stingless indeed. I think when we see death and life hand in hand, um, we are able to make peace with that fact and get in sync with that natural process. And when it's disruptive, it, it disrupted it, it. It causes some alienation, and it doesn't allow us, I think, to find closure exactly. Oftentimes, um, 
Green Burial is just putting it all out there and letting people see that, you know, this is what goes on in every aspect of life. And we want to make peace with that fact and embrace that fact. And um, I'm hearing from so many people who are so much younger. I can't tell you how many people in their 30s and 40s have contacted the council. They're not looking to buy a burial plot and they're not looking to uh, purchase a, a, a green casket. They're looking, as they tell me, to wrap their mind around all this. Earlier in life, they're looking, I think, to befriend death and to understand uh, their, their place in the world. And, 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 and they want to um, sort of sort through these issues. And I think it's wonderful. And I think, uh, again, it's, it provides a context for people to think and talk about death and death care. And what a wonderful gift to give children. I know um, we probably grew up around the same time. And you view, um, you view death and burials as sad. Everybody's crying. And, and it's, you know, it's a horrible disruption of your life. What a beautiful gift to give children to show that, no, death isn't scary. Death is a natural process. And it's going to happen to all of us. And let's celebrate the person that, that, you know, celebrate the life of the person that we're interring at this time. I agree. And I have a six-year-old who's very comfortable with death and has seen it up close and heard about it. And I've also discovered from many of our friends that this is the last taboo in our culture. They have a much easier time talking about sex with their, with their kids than they do death. And we're often hushed, hushed away. But look, we, we need to bring this out in the open. We need to shine a light upon it. And I think the the funeral service industry, which I think needs to get deindustrialized a bit, um, needs to to claim this territory. And and I think this is incredibly honorable work. I've I've seen it. I, it's some of the most honorable work that can be done when it's done well. And unfortunately, we have people in the field who regard it as nothing but a business and and don't really care about that aspect. And we haven't really been able to separate in the minds of the public the folks who are out there to really serve families openly and willingly um, from those who maybe are just out there to make a buck. I think the, the green burial movement is helping to show that uh, there's different kinds of folks in the field and there's a way to distinguish uh, some of these folks from others. And I think that, you know, for far too long, we've propped up this notion that you can get whatever you want from any funeral home or any cemetery. Well, that's just not the case. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And, and I think the more that we get out to consumers that you know, there are ways to distinguish. And if you care, for example, about eco-consciousness, don't think that you can have a green burial by walking in any, other, any, any door because you're not gonna be necessarily happy. And, and um, I think people are starting to plan more carefully and they're starting to ask more questions. And I think that's good. I think a more informed consumer base ultimately is going to be good for the funeral service industry. No, I agree. And also, I, I get a lot of questions from funeral directors about branding. They want to brand their funeral home. Um, as you know, a lot of the independents have gone out of business um, over the past five to 10 years, and they're looking to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. What can we do differently? How can we show that people that we care? And I think one way of distinguishing themselves is to say we offer green burial services. And because there's a, as you just pointed out, there's a huge um, number of people that are looking for these services. And what better way to say that we offer, you know, we offer different services, traditional cremation and green burial services. That's right. And that we've been doing it 
far before the market emerged. I think that people who do this now are going to take advantage of that leadership position for far uh, for many, many years, you know, 10 years from now, everyone's going to be offering green options. Just I, I promise you that. But I think I think the public will look differently upon the people who jump on the bandwagon uh, later on. And, and we've seen that in other fields here. It's an opportunity to say we do it because we think it's the right reason. And, and especially for a funeral home. There's no reason to do this, to not do this now. Um, there's just there, it's so easy to be able to make these offerings without having business disrupted. Now, cemeteries are taking a bigger chance because if they're to create a green section, they need to know that there's a market for of families out there who want that. And, 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 and we're working with them right now so that these things are planned accordingly and that they're taking baby steps and they're not biting off more than they can chew, so to speak. And, and, we don't want people to feel that this is a risky proposition um, and it doesn't need to be. But really, um, I think that the leadership in this field is, is really what's going to resonate with the public. And, and it really is something that, that funeral homes and cemeteries can take advantage of today. Are there any concerns that you have about green burial? Well, I do. I think that there's already greenwashing starting in this field. You know, there's a, there's a cask, a vault company that wants to let people think that ca- vaults are are uh, a green because they're made from the basic elements of Earth. Well, so is plutonium. But let's look at the embodied energy. You know, the public is not going to buy that, and and I think it does damage to us when we hear things or people peddling green caskets that are made from known uh, toxic chemicals, uh, or we've seen it on the cemetery side, many misrepresentations being made. Uh, so. You know, this concerns me, although I think in the end, when you do have these mishaps, it's only going to bring bring people to 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 want to embrace standards that can be certified. Um, I think that you know we're we are starting to see some people get involved for the wrong reason, often out of fear, you know that their competitors doing this and they they're getting dragged into this. And that's not a good way to to get involved with green burial. I think they need to really wait until they feel comfortable doing this. Um, and you know, the, uh, the I'm concerned that the environmental and conservation community, which I think can really drive demand for this and create burial air, uh, grounds. Um, you know, there's a lot of potential to create partnerships among the funeral service industry and land trusts and park service agencies. They're just not going to want to work uh, with cemeteries and funeral homes and cremation companies if they don't feel there's a way for them to understand what they're getting into and manage this process. So I do have some concerns that we've had a few mishaps that need to be nipped in the bud. Well, and it brings us back to the trust provider. Um, when your council, JBC, you know, certifies funeral homes, certifies cemeteries, then people have more of a comfort level and they know that um, things are going to be done according to the way they should be. That's right. If there's a funeral home out there, they know that we've at least looked at their GPL to know that these offerings are there and our rating, our requirements are going to change or that the funeral home understands how to do non-toxic or potentially non-invasive body prep. If there's a cemetery uh, that's in our network that making an aesthetic or ecological promise, there's some way of backing up this promise and constraining future, future owners. And if there's a product manufacturer making promises, the council has seen a material safety data sheet. We know what's in that product. Or if there's claims made about where it's manufactured or what, what 
what ingredients are there, you know, we can vouch for that. So, yeah, I think that this is going to be more and more important to both consumers or to the industry. But I don't think we're there yet right now. I, I don't think we quite understand why it's important. Right. But it's the same reason we have good good housekeeping seal of approval and consumer reports and all the other regulatory agencies, basically to keep, peop- keep people safe. That's right. So people know what they're buying and they can be educated consumers and they know um, what they're getting into. And they know that what they buy is going to be green friendly and it's not going to be some misrepresentation of a traditional uh, casket or vault company. That's right. Now, Joe, what excites you most about green burials? I'm, I'm really pleased that we now have 400 approved providers operating throughout North America um, who are willing to step up and serve families, uh, especially given how nascent this idea is and the fact that the market is not so fully emerged. Um, I'm really excited that so many people in the field of funeral service have stepped forward to teach one another about how to serve these families. You know, this concept is evolving and we're learning things. And I can't tell you about how many funeral directors or cemeterians have have been able to uh, answer, been willing to answer questions when they when they have a colleague from another state, sometimes within the same market, ask about, uh, you know, how, how am I really supposed to use dry ice? I have, I, I got a call for a home funeral here. How, how, what, what kind of excavation techniques do I need to know? And we're, of course, trying to facilitate this open source network, but it really requires buy-in. And I've been really pleased to see that we've gotten that. I'm really pleased that, that we're starting to see the, the, the potential for this very innovative market-based conservation tool because there are so many land trusts and park service agencies willing to get involved with this idea. Uh, we didn't know that was going to be the case a couple years ago. And uh, I'm really pleased that consumers who too often have been robbed of their rights realize that there are many decent people in the field of funeral service uh, do whatever it takes to help them honor the dead and heal the living and invite in the divine. Well, Joe, um, I ha- was certainly a believer in green burials before we had this interview, but now I'm, I'm 100% there. And I really, I value the information that you've shared with me and our listeners. Well, I, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to, again, get the word out and um, look forward to continuing the conversation. And thanks so much, Nancy. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's been an honor speaking with you today. United Priority Distributors offers an extensive catalog of unique and exclusive cremation urns, including artistic urns, veterans' memorials, and brass urns that can be engraved and shipped the same day. For more information, visit unitedpriority.com.